Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run on our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, by hook or by crook, uh, somehow we managed to get through the 2011 college football season. Um, definitely touch and go there for a little bit. Uh, last night... Alabama, yeah, they're they're good. They curb stomped on Ohio State pretty hard. Um, I don't even have the final score in front of me. It was it was a beatdown. I mean, 50, fifty two twenty four. Yeah, okay, almost <laughs> almost fifty two thirty one. I'm I, like I felt like Ohio State almost scored another touchdown like a couple different times and had had them both overturned by review. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that late that was but that was dumb. but it, but it's worth just throwing this out off the top. Northwestern held Ohio State to 22 points, just mm-hmm. shy of Bama's 24, which was almost 31. The next closest team was Penn State, allowing a whopping 38 points. Yeah, I was, It's which totally, I mean, it's the credit to the defense that's continually disrespected. And I, I find it hilarious that we know for a fact that we have, well, we know for a fact we're returning a first-team All-American at safety. We know the rest of our secondary looks awesome. We know there's a really good chance that the entire firm may not be leaving the linebacker core, right? We know we've got some great pieces on the defensive line. And it's like, of, of all of this that did all this work last last year, um, and uh, no one seems to think that we're worth a spot in the top 25. Uh, no one th- or, or or even like the all, the almost nearby, I mean, right? Like... Look- which is, it's, it's just incredible. And I, I'm already getting pulled off track because I know we were just, you we were talking <laughs> well, about the, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's you right. know talk about this, this game just a little bit. Right. I, I was, so I was going to say, I mean, Sam and I were briefly talking before the pod and given what you were saying, this miracle that we managed to go wire to wire in this season. Um, it's kind of amazing that we got the kind of closure that we did where I think on one hand, we know that I'd say Ohio state's pretty clearly the second best team in the country. Like, I mean, they throttled Clemson and I don't think there are any other contenders for that, you know, that second place spot. And Alabama is just like a massive leap above them. Um, And that's good. I think, you know, the the idea that in this season we would end and that there wouldn't be some lingering questions like, oh, but if this hadn't happened and this hadn't happened, it's like, look, Ohio State was riding the COVID roller coaster the entire season. And. Yet, I don't think anyone is believing that this team was somehow not full strength in a way that would have kept them from getting the tar kicked out of them by Alabama. I think Alabama is just on a total other plane this year, which is good because I don't think no one's going to look back and be asking questions of the season or putting any asterisks or anything like that. I think at the end of the day, it was pretty cut and dry. And I suppose like that's a good thing to take away. So I like I'll just be honest. I hadn't really watched much Alabama football until last night. And um, I was overwhelmed by the prodigious talent that is Devonta Smith. And I realized that he won. Someone should give that guy an award. Yeah. I was going to say he he won all the awards. Right. Um, But holy hell. Uh, And like, I don't want to, I don't want to start a debate. I will give a, I will give some credit to Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator of Alabama for being creative and figuring out how to use Devonta Smith. Um, 
but that's like having it's like it's like if you have a crash test derby but one of the guys has a tank but he's a really good tank driver it's like yeah but you still have a tank and everyone else has a beat up car but... I, it's 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 like you have iron man on your team i mean the dude was unbelievable yeah. 215 yards three touchdowns well, in well, one half and they because knew he missed it was the coming. second half they knew it was cut like ohio state knew Right. Had to know on every yeah. single play. Because you had Jalen Waddle was on a busted wheel, given his all, but clearly not close to a hundred percent. Not right. only out there, maybe fifteen percent of the plays, if that. Um, you had uh, number eight, uh, Mitchie, I think, who was who was pretty good, and then as Billingsley, their other their other wide receiver. I mean, those I guys mean, are both really talented. I, but like, I mean, it's it with Bama though. It's like there's that guy Slade. I'm blanking on in his last name who scored his first career touchdown in the national championship game. And you go look this guy up and he was like one of the top recruits coming out of Louisiana and then went to like Alabama and just got buried on their stupid depth chart. Um, it's like, that's, I, that's every guy at Bama. I will say nothing made me like, I, I, I didn't quite get out of my seat, but I effectively got out of my seat and yelled out loud when Devonta Smith straight up dusted Sean Wade off the line for a 44 <laughs> yard reception. Um, that was frankly a thing of beauty. Um, I was pulling for Ohio state, obviously, you know, an Ohio state would win would have, would have looked really good for Northwestern. Um, even then I thought, you know, they acquitted themselves pretty darn well in that first half. And they just like, they just, they could not stop uh, Alabama. And I think their pass, Efficiency defense ended up in like the bottom. It's like one of the worst that Ohio State's ever posted. I one thing I was thinking about too, um, and I suppose this will dovetail with some other things that I know we want to talk about. Um, we sent out a tweet uh, this morning talking about you know when the final poll came in, which we haven't even mentioned yet, right? Where Northwestern finishes at tenth in the country, which is a yep. unbelievably high. And yet I think we feel like we could have gotten a little higher. Brett McMurphy had a seventh in his personal ballot, which I think a lot of people were amazed and impressed by. But um, but tenth is about where we felt we were going to end up. Yeah, we figured like 10, 10, 9 or 10. Somewhere right, yeah. I think my personal feeling was we would have jumped Georgia if Georgia had not hit that field goal and had lost to Cincinnati, and that would have gotten us to ninth. But um, the, the thing we tweeted out, right, is that that gives the Big Ten two top 10 teams. And one of those teams played in the national title, and the other team in the top 10 played that team really close. And there are two other Better teams. Better than anyone else did. Right. And there are two other teams in the top 16 in the Big Ten. And then if you look at all those and you crunch those against the last 15 years of, of Big Ten numbers, sorry, Chris Fowler, this is a pretty standard, if anything, slightly above average Big Ten season. It's uh, just, hey, hold hold on a second. Yeah, Bill, Bill Connolly had something to say about yes. that. Yeah, he put out his, his S&P Plus stuff, and he had the Big Ten West, the West, as the best division in college football behind the SEC West. Yeah, I mean, but that's that doesn't count, though, because Penn State's not in the, in the Big Ten West, and Michigan's not in the Big Ten West, and only some teams count, guys. You have to remember those things. I, <laughs> well, we, we have we have Nebraska. No, well, th- speaking <laughs> speaking of TV, oh, God, uh, God, marquee step. Not to jump into the portal conversation, but um, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get we'll, there. We'll save all that. But th- what led me all this? Speaking of of the Big Ten East, um, is Indiana. And one thing I thought about was an awful lot was being made of. I think 
not unlike a Northwestern, right? People couldn't wait to dismiss Indiana. And when Indiana lost to Ole Miss, I think a lot of people left on that to be like, see, see. And I stopped and I thought, and I was like, why are we not talking about the fact that Indiana played, what, their last three games without their hero, their starting quarterback? And I was thinking last night and I was like, what if Justin Fields had missed the exact same period of time for Ohio State? You think that wouldn't have made a difference? You think that might not have made a difference in our game? I mean, like we've gone, I mean, there are a lot of you are going to be like, what about Trey Sermon? But I think we've done a pretty good job and Scuzz has done a particularly good job of mapping out the fact that so much of that stuff was all predicated around us trying to stop Fields to begin with. But it's all a way of saying like Indiana was missing their quarterback for this massive stretch of time. And this guy was like their hero, right? Like Penix did so many things for them and had this magical season, is an all-Big Ten, I think, second-team quarterback. And they don't play the whole back quarter of the season with him. And everyone just forgets all that. And then, like, we play Auburn, and Bo Nix has some unspecified boo-boo. And they won't stop talking about it for the entire game. And it's just like, I don't know, it was one of these things where it's like, I fold this all into the fact that, like, people couldn't wait to disrespect an Indiana team the same way they couldn't wait to disrespect us because they're just like, oh, well, this team doesn't belong. So we'll just overlook the fact that the guy who operated and engineered their entire offense is missing uh, the entire end of the season and then act like, oh, well, they still should have beaten Ole Miss. And it's like, no, I would have liked to see Ohio State play us without Justin Fields. And we can see how that would have gone. Um, I mean, pe- people are people are disrespecting Indiana. You talk about that, but like you look at all of these way too early top twenty fives for next year, and they all have Indiana in at least the top fifteen, if not the top ten. Right, and I, so it's like you know, are you disrespecting them? Or are you not disrespecting them? If you're not disrespecting them, where the hell are we? Well, I think too. I think is Penix back next year? I guess he might be. Well, I think this will be an it's it's it'll be an interesting time, you know, to to start pivoting to some of this portal talk because I think people are choosing to evaluate teams based on what has already happened in the portal and maybe not things that are still going to happen in the portal. And I think that may be something that's affecting people's perceptions of where Northwestern's going to be next season a little bit. Uh, that's, that's part of it. The other part of it is just being stupid. Um, but, but <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. But I think it's it's a mix of those two things, and it certainly well, does does relate to the portal. Well, in this in the stupid case is that Northwestern has finished in the top twenty five three of the last four years, and has been ranked in the preseason in zero of those four years. So um, that's that's the starting point. I mean, I and I get like we we do have a lot of folks leaving this year. Um, What's funny too is I mean, like again, we'll circle around to this. All of the questions that I'm asking have to do with the defensive side of the ball. And I don't even think that there are areas that a lot of people are focusing on because you know the national narrative is they don't have Peyton Ramsey anymore. You know that's what that's where this is yeah. coming from, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and Well, that and, like, you know, we lost our two, you know, running backs to the transfer portal and, you know, all, all like, the off- offensive line departures and whatnot. But, yeah. That that's the narrative. It's it's Ramsey, and who's going to be their quarterback? Ramsey came in to save the day, and he did, and he's leaving, and there's no one there's no one else. 
Well, <laughs> just, I, I, that where, may, where should, where should that, we start? I was going to say that may. Tee us I'll, up. I'll just I'll just lob that up to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Take it from there. Um, so I don't know, Scuzz, you want me to lead us into this? Um, we should sure. we should timestamp this pod. It's January 12th, 2020, uh, 2021. Who knows what will happen by the time this pod goes up? Or the day after that, or the day after that, or the day after that. Um, we uh, we've stressed this on past pods. Um, I don't feel like we have any kind of inside information that supersedes um, what anybody else has. Um, there are many facets of the transfer portal that we're going to be discussing tonight, but. Ryan Holinsky is the place we have to start with a bullet. And I think, again, not to jinx this or not to talk about this in any way, it's difficult to talk about the Holinsky situation without talking about the Hunter Johnson situation in a bunch of different ways. Um, but just as, a, as an intro, just for what I'm talking about right now, this would be akin to a discussion we would be having or we had after Hunter Johnson announced he was transferring out of Clemson, after it became apparent that Northwestern was seriously in contention, but before he announced where he was going. Because as of right now, it really looks like at worst, Northwestern is one of the top two destinations for Ryan Holinsky. And um, Wait, John, before we go much further, who is Ryan Holinsky? Sure. Scuzz, do you want to take this? Yeah, so Ryan Holinsky was um, a sophomore at the University of South Carolina this past year. Um, he was a he was a four star recruit. He's he's been basically the best recruit or the best transfer portal QB available on paper um, for a couple months now, given his uh, his recruiting profile. Um, his brother was a pretty decorated recruit that went to Washington State, who, uh, whom you may remember from the news, committed suicide uh, a couple of years ago. Holinsky yes. himself has been yeah. really involved in the mental health community in, and his, in during his time and in their, South Carolina. Their whole family has. It's, it was an yes. unbelievable yes. tragedy, and the family has, has done unbelievable things since then. Yes. Um, on the football field, Holinsky played. He was the starter for South Carolina pretty much his entire freshman year. Um. He, you know, wasn't super accurate, but did some good things in, you know, obviously the toughest conference in college football, right? Uh, came back this year. South Carolina hired a new offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, formerly of, I believe, Alabama, who had been the, the head coach at Colorado State, got fired from Colorado State. South Carolina picked him up. And immediately his former quarterback from Colorado State grad transferred to South Carolina, bumped Holinsky off the top line. Uh, Holinsky ended up not playing at all this past year. They, they installed Colin Hill as the QB. And then Holinsky entered the transfer portal back in, uh, back in December. And, I, you know, he, he immediately stood on my radar because amongst the quarterbacks that were in the transfer portal and, and at the, the higher end of the transfer portal, he's the only one that Northwestern recruited uh, coming out of high school. And we were, we were oh, after him big, big time. Heavily recruited. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would add to, to what you said about the other quarterback too, because I think people are wondering like, 
well, how did this guy get leapfrogged, right? And you mentioned Bo Wilbrod and his other coordinator. The other complicating factor is um, South Carolina had a massive true freshman in-state quarterback recruit who signed with them who is a completely different type of quarterback, almost like a Luke McCaffrey type. Um, and he was also a, a favored son, as it will. And you had Bobo comes in. He comes in. He brings his best boy with him from Colorado State, like Scuzz said, installs that guy immediately, and then immediately is showing preference to this monster in-state recruit. Who, um, who, who, by the way, on the first week uh, depth chart was listed at wide receiver. Right, like this, well, <laughs> they just, they not unlike to Luke, get that dude on the field no right, matter what. Exactly, not unlike a Luke McCaffrey type, right? Um, and, and, but going to, to Scuzz's last point, um, we were kind of, I was digging through as best I can, blowing the dust off all the memories from this time period. And then we tweeted things out and some of you um, stepped in and filled in some of the gaps for us and things that I'd even forgotten. So if we hop in the Wayback Machine here um, to a, a crazy time in Northwestern um, quarterback recruiting, you have to go all the way back to basically the late um, 2017 and early 2018. And basically what's going on is um, you can pretty clearly see that the dream quarterback recruit for Northwestern is Ryan Holinsky. And Northwestern would give anything to have Ryan Holinsky, and they're recruiting him to beat the band. And it's like, he's a great student. He is like, he fits all the bill. The, the and, heir apparent to Clayton Thorson. Exactly. And I think the... 1B in this recruiting discussion was Kale Millen, who was also a um, West Coast quarterback, I think from the Pacific Northwest. He was, um, what, like um, Hugh Millen's either son or nephew, I believe. Um, so, Related, yeah. Yeah, so major, you know, pedigree and a very well-regarded quarterback, not nearly as high as Holinsky, but still a top 20 quarterback in the country. Well, what happened was, we had offered both. Halinski was the higher rated guy, but Millen pulled the trigger and said, I'm coming to Northwestern. And at the time we were like, this is great. He came to Northwestern within a week of committing to Northwestern. He took a visit to Oregon. And then for months, we were in this dance of how solid are we with this guy? And he ultimately decommitted and then he signed with Oregon. And that's where he is right now. Two weeks before Kale Millen decommitted from Northwestern, Ryan Holinsky signed with the University of South Carolina. This was a nightmare scenario. And a month and a half later, it all got thrown out the window because Hunter Johnson transferred to Northwestern. And we all forgot that all of this ever happened. But the reality is, if... Kale Millen never commits to Northwestern in the first place. There's a really good chance Ryan Holinsky's a Northwestern quarterback right now. Um, these are all things that are really important to factor in because I think, you know, there are some other tea leaves that we can get into that strongly suggest that he's looking at Northwestern. Um, but just so you guys know, the, aside from all that, there's this really concrete relationship that already exists with him and Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, spot spot on, and, I, and, I, and like one of the interesting things, you know, I, I, if you've been listening to us, you know that we have been really heavily talking about 
recruits or, or, or the transfer portal and guys wanting to get closer to home, right? Kalinsky's from California, so that's a like he's as far from home as possible. Like going to Northwestern gets him like halfway there. <laughs> um, <laughs> still a four-hour flight from still Chicago a long to flight, California, right? is, but this this would be breaking with what we've seen from you know the guys transferring from Northwestern. Um, what we've seen from there's there's a couple guys from that have announced they're going to the portal from Nebraska who are who are presumably going back to their home states, et cetera. So, um, but you know, not everybody's going to do that, right? The wide receiver Stephen Robinson that we're going to talk about later, not from Illinois or the Midwest even, but um, is coming to Northwestern next year, right? So it, it's 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 very plausible that um, that this would happen. And and I think John, you think I think you believe that Arizona is the other team kind of in the mix for Holinsky services. If I I won't go into all of it, but we've had some people sending some sending us some some DMs and you know like you stalk people a little bit on social media and what you can see is that Holinsky is connected with a bunch of Northwestern people and it's happened recently and you know we'll see what happens right that's certainly not a guarantee. Um, maybe Twitter is just you know showing me what I what I want to see uh, as Twitter is want to do <laughs> yes it is so so who knows right can, but right um, I think I think just just to parse this out a little bit right because we've kind of gone back and forth like I said like we've had some eagle-eyed viewers point us to and we won't even map it all out we just encourage you to maybe go and look at perhaps Ryan Holinsky's Twitter profile and perhaps people he's chosen to follow and when those people were chosen etc um and and then if you go to where we went and you try to take off your tinfoil hat and think rationally about this, I think what you will arrive at is you will you will say to yourself, either he's chosen to show a lot of attention to a lot of schools, despite the fact that there are other schools he's showing zero attention to that he's interested in. And truthfully, that seems kind of unlikely. The more likely thing is that there is a, a core group of schools he's considering. And if you look at this rationally and you try to put things together, what you're going to see is a couple of the schools that appear to be on this kind of list are schools that frankly are below his caliber. And then it's Arizona and Northwestern. And I think if you look at this, you're going to believe that that there's a really good chance that at worst it's a coin flip between those two schools. And then all of these other things start to factor in. The fact that he could pick to come to the number 10 team in the country right now and potentially step right in with up to, right, three years of eligibility. And I, a question, and I haven't seen um, one way or the other, but are they allowing not like right away transfer right away transfers from the portal this year. I know like th- this whole, you know, name in- image likeness and uh one-time transfer is like the NCAA is not doing anything with that now cuz the Department of Justice is getting involved with antitrust stuff and ha- has there been clarification on if everyone in the portal is going to be able to play right away this upcoming year? I we know? I was under the impression that the answer to that is yes. Now I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was too. I think it's okay. a blank check. I think everyone... I, I thought so too, but I, I I hadn't heard you know confirmation. I think, and you know, this it dovetails with some of the other stuff we've talked about about guys who've transferred out, right? And I suppose like as long as we're mentioning Arizona, it's worth mentioning that Arizona University of just picked up two transfers from Northwestern, right? Um, Drake Anderson 
and Gunnar Maldonado, who are both from Arizona and are both going home. And I think it's totally understandable that they'd want to do that. We've talked about that. But I think that just goes with the idea that the, the NCAA, for once, making the right decision and being like, rightfully so, being like, why should these guys who in this horrible time want to go home and be with family, why should they have to sacrifice a year of eligibility to do that? Um, which totally understand, makes perfect sense. But flipping it, yeah, it does mean that there's potential chance that we could get Ryan Holinsky right away. Um, and I think it's, it's worth mentioning too, because again, we already mentioned um, multiple ways that this, is, this story dovetails with Hunter Johnson, right? A, the period of time of when it happened. And how we didn't end up ultimately filling a quarterback in that class because we got Hunter Johnson through the transfer portal. And then the fact that you're talking about a guy transferring from the state of South Carolina, who was a big recruit, went to a school in that state, was passed over by other major recruits and is not coming in. And, you know, you don't have to work hard to draw the parallels. I would say, and Scuzz mentioned this earlier, a huge part of it is that Ryan Holinsky basically started an entire season at South Carolina and was pretty good and then was leapfrogged for reasons completely beyond his control that have to do with style and relationships he had nothing to do with. And yeah, he, no, no injury. Right. No, you know, no weird, not even really recruited over. Right. Like, um, like, like an OC bringing in his dude from a different school on a transfer on a grad transfer is, is, it's different from what Hunter Johnson saw at Clemson where he never really got to be the guy. Holinsky was the guy for a whole year. So, um, but I mean, who knows? Like, you know, that's, that's the other side of this coin is that like, I'm confident that 2020 was not a great year to like learn a new system and figure stuff out and like get over the hump, et cetera. But like, presumably Hunter Johnson is going to have a pretty normal spring, summer and, and fall camp. Uh, going into next year, and that's you know with with an infinitely better offensive coordinator than the one he was working with, um, the season you know before the 2019 season. So, like we you John you you laid this out on our previous podcast. Like anybody who was watching the Cats in 2009 fell in love with Mike Kafka and what he did as a senior. Anybody who was watching the Cats in 2006 right. <laughs> knows how scary the proposition of, of Mike Kafka as our starting quarterback was going into that season. So, like, well, I think like players develop and grow. And, and what we've heard on the ground, what we've heard from people who, who we talk to, and we're not insiders, but it, like there's concern that he hasn't progressed enough. I don't really care about that. I, I just want somebody who's got experience to come in and compete for the job. Cause I think that's, what's going to get Northwestern the best player on the field in the fall of 2021, whether that's Hunter or Marty or Holinsky or somebody else that comes in. Like I just want somebody with experience to come and impress these guys. Iron sharpens iron. That's what the North Northwestern program has talked about for years. And that's what I hope we get to see over the next eight months before next season. Well, I think a lot of people have made that point on Twitter too, right? Which is, Basically, in a situation where Holinsky did transfer in, in the 20, Northwestern would have a top three pro-style quarterback from two of the recruiting classes from 2017 to 2019 competing against each other for a starting job. And the idea that, to, to your point, right, it's like, good, yeah, let the competition breed something. And, and those are... And we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, and, and to your point, right? I mean, you guys all know, like we, 
we are we're certainly not blind to anything, but we are on the record of being Hunter fans and being really fans of what we believe he has the potential to do. And he still may get a chance to show that. But um, there's also a really, really good chance that Ryan Holinsky right now is looking at what Peyton Ramsey did last year and looking at the team he stands to inherit um, uh, on the offensive side of the ball and, uh, and, and thinking that there's a lot for him to work with. And, you know, that might be a bridge for us to get into some of the other fun that has, has come out of this transfer portal. Uh, what, one other transfer portal thing to mention, um, yeah, Cam Ruiz is, is going into the portal uh, as a grad transfer. So he, he'll be able to go and, and play right away. Um, you know, not sure. You know, he, he's from the area. He's from you know, Illinois, like, the Chicago suburbs. So it's not necessarily a going closer to home situation for him. Um, but you know, our, our defensive backfield is pretty stacked and you know, he, it seemed like he might've been, I, 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 wor- I worry that, you know, he got burned by Michigan state and had never really saw the field much again, the rest of the year. And I wonder if that might have had something to do with it. I don't know. I'm, I'm just speculating here. It's just so hard to speculate, right? There's so many variables. Yeah, and, for sure. For sure. And, you know, in this year more than any other, like we've discussed, I just, I think, I, I think it is very easy to see the tea leaves and be like, he's, he's probably third on the pecking order going into next year. And, you know, much like with a Bowser or an Anderson, like we, we've thought a lot of Ruiz. He's, he's played, you know, pretty darn well all things considered in two big 10 big two big 10 championship games um that huge block against uh against notre dame on the punt Mm -hmm. the epic sack against wisconsin this year on a blitz like the dude has got skills and can almost certainly go be a starter somewhere so if he's looking at the tea leaves and thinking he can't start in northwestern if you know to a point that john has made very well in the past if he's just feeling like Northwestern is not for him or the fact like he's got his degree and he wants to take advantage of, of the grad transfer to get, you know, maybe, maybe he, maybe there's a part of the country he wants to get to, even if it's not, you know, where he's from. So I just, it's, it's so hard to parse this stuff. I, it is, it, it is interesting when you look at the spectrum of our transfer portal guys, right? So we've talked about Kyrick McGowan going back to Georgia tech, another grad transfer, by the way, we've talked about, um, Drake Anderson and Gunnar Maldonado, uh, not grad transfers, um, don't have their degrees yet, going to Arizona. And, and I, I think on our last podcast, I can't remember if on, on our last podcast or not we mentioned this, but they they have accepted and, and offers to the University of Arizona. And what a, what a great spot for them um, with what Jed Fish is building uh, is building there. They they still get to be Wildcats, kind of cool. Um, <laughs> we've we you know you see Cam Ruiz with with his degree. You see Isaiah Bowser with his degree who announced he's going to Miami of Ohio. Uh, I, that's going, going close to home. Just a perfect fit for him. Right. It's like his backyard where he grew up. And I mean, if, if injury is the only thing that's going to prevent him from being a major contributor to, to Miami of Ohio next year. So that's, that's great for, for Bowser as well. And then, and then Leota is the one other one who actually, I think also he is a grad is, transfer, is a yeah. grad transfer. So graduated I mean, in three years. I mean, Holy crap. Tip your hat yeah. to that guy. So there's, I mean, there's a theme here when you think about the brand of Northwestern football of prepares you for the league and for life. Like most of these dudes have, have, have checked one of those two boxes already. Right. And that's, 
that's a like if it were me that's a that's a huge factor you know oh man i haven't got my degree yet and am i going to go get it from somewhere else or am i going to am i going to get it northwestern if i've already got the degree from northwestern it just it changes the calculus and i think it's i think that's an important consideration yeah i think you're totally right and on top of all of that and obviously you know we hope like all these guys that ruiz finds a great landing spot I think for all of us, Ruiz, and this is not to separate him from so many of these other guys who we have a lot of love for, it just really stings. I personally, I just love Ruiz. Um, he's had a, so many big moments, and he's one of these guys that helps bridge the gap from this period of time where we were just sorely lacking in depth at corner to when we had oodles of depth at corner. And I think because of that, I think we feel indebted, and also just because he was such an aggressive player an aggressive, unbelievably athletic player. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before, but you can acknowledge that on one hand, it's really easy to hang a huge part of the first quarter of the Michigan State game on Cam Ruiz. And again, we don't have all the details, but it certainly seems to us and to a lot of others, like he kind of entered the doghouse at that point and never really got out. And um, I think it's, on one hand, you can acknowledge that, but as we've talked about before, so many of the things that happened, you know, in that quarter were the result of a system that guys like Ruiz allowed Northwestern to put in place that allowed us to be so aggressive that created so many benefits that weren't as tangible, except for the fact that we were damn good on defense all the time. And he was a part of that. And I think it's... I think we'll always have a huge respect for him and, and a respect for him of helping to bring that level of excellence. I mean, this is a guy that Greg Newsom was calling the best nickelback in the country, you know, at midseason. And and there's because of that, there's a lot of, you know, kind of sadness that goes along with him kind of losing his spot here. Um, on the other hand, I would say um, that Cam Ruiz is a phenomenal athlete with phenomenal speed and guys like that always have spots so um if it's true that that he's not coming back and he's in the portal for good he will find a spot where he'll be given plenty of opportunity to shine and and like you said he's got his degree that's awesome um you know go and and get the best out of your remaining eligibility yeah you talk about the you know the portal taketh away but the portal also giveth um malik washington today announced that he's he's leaving the portal He's sticking around, which is fantastic. Um, wide receiver with speed. Speaking of the uh, the transfer portal giveth, wide receivers with speed seems to be yeah. sort of the, what? the, one the Malik, theme of the evening. One Malik Washington went into the portal and two came back. <laughs> <laughs> Was that like a season five of Stargate season six? Yeah, right. There? Was, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Malik, first, first of all, of course, coming back is phenomenal. Um, and again, it's like, you really want to get tinfoil hatty. You're like, does he know something about the way things are laying out? <laughs> Why did he suddenly decide, you know, um, we don't want to go down I, that road. I immediately checked to see if, if, uh, yeah. if, if anybody was following Malik or, um, or yeah. Steven Robinson and vice versa. But, e- exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, so regardless though, I mean, again, we totally understood why he was one of these guys who's far from home and we understood why he would want to do that. Right. Um, but ultimately he came back and we're so happy he did. We know about the speed, the athleticism. We've talked before, we were even kind of thinking going into the bowl game um, about the, you know, 
had he been there, that he slots right into that Kyrick role. And he absolutely slots into that Kyrick role still, and that's where he's going to be used. But fighting him for that exact role and special teams and anything that involves crazy fast guys is Stefan Robinson, who... Um, Ooh, I, I, I disagree with that assessment, but I'll let, let, keep going. Oh, I'm so I'm curious about this. I, I, I wonder if what you're saying has to do with the Stefan Robinson Kansas highlights that you've watched, because if it is, uh, I, I don't disagree. But um, Stefan Robinson is a fascinating story. I think um, Louis Vacare has done a good job of mapping it out. And I think even um, when he first signed, we did some digging and found out some amazing stuff, which the short of it is. This guy was unbelievably small coming into high school, sub five feet, and never really got large throughout high school. He grew, but you can look at his profile on Rivals and see that at the time he was being recruited out of high school, he was listed at 5'7", 139. So you're talking a slight of build guy. And that's important because if you watch his high school highlights, you're like, oh my God, this guy's faster than the wind. How is he not getting recruited? Well, he didn't get recruited by anybody. And ultimately, he went to El Camino Community College to try to get more visibility. He continued to grow. And now I think he's listed at like 5'10". Some people have him generously at 5'11". Um, but was still only got up to like 165. And this is a guy who had won an LA City title in high school. I think he got all kinds of accolades at El Camino Community College. And still his best offer was Kansas. He went to Kansas and became their best wide receiver like immediately. He's their deep threat. They were a bad football team. You can look at the highlights and be like, some games against Oklahoma, they got, there, there's a game, you can watch the highlights. Basically, he was the only thing that made it a game. There were, um, you know, Oklahoma was just dusting them because Kansas just doesn't have talent on defense at all. And Oklahoma's Oklahoma. And then Kansas would come out and just run another fly route to Stephon Robinson, burn Oklahoma's quarterback cornerbacks and get another L- touchdown. Literally run past the Oklahoma cornerback like Devontae Smith on Right. Uh uh I'm I'm blanking right. Sean Wade. This is real speed, folks. I mean, this is Venric type speed. I mean, and you know I don't throw that around lightly. I've never seen anyone move like Venric on a football field. This guy's a burner. Full on cleat speed. Um, so, so, yeah. so I've been, um, as we've been potting here, I've been, um, furiously scribbling out like what the potential too deep might look like next year. Um, based on what we know right now and not including really any freshmen. And I actually think where you, cause, cause you watch those Oklahoma highlights, Robinson's lining up outside. He's not in the slot. He's, he's not. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I saw Kansas running motion in any of those those sets like we did with McGowan, but he's not their jet sweep guy. He's their deep threat, right? And so, to me, where you drop him into the into, into the 2020 Northwestern offense, at least, is as the heir apparent to RCB, who became our downfield threat as the season went on. Now, we also— Different, I mean, we certainly, guy, different kind of guy, but same role, right? Yes, exactly. And now, we, we definitely lined up McGowan outside and went deep to him. I, I think it was the— um, the Nebraska game there was there was a game where we targeted him two or three times um deep downfield he wasn't able to get open but like like that's that was maybe before RCB emerged in that in that in that role against Wisconsin um Malik I think fits into 
the jet sweep spot, the slot spot. Um, I think that's where he played a bit this year, you know, as you know, it's interesting because I like John, you made this good point on our last podcast that Bryce Kurtz is like of the, of the Riley Lee's mold, but I see Kurtz as more effective as, as the other outside receiver opposite Robinson. And then Malik as, as your slot guy. And then you've got a mix of, Triple J, Holman, Genson Hooper Price, um, Wayne Dennis Jr. And not not even to speak of the tight ends, Mangieri, Gordon. Thomas um, Gordon, yeah, who's yeah. Yeah. Uh Lang, um, a Lesnar, like Trey Pugh if he's still around and healthy. I don't even know. Like, but the but like the the point being is, you know, we talked about this going to the Big Ten Championship game. Like, Cats fans were wringing their hands at that game because Malik was gone, McGowan was gone. They're wringing their hands even further because all four of our top receivers, when you when you include RCB and Lees as as likely, you know, graduates from the program, you know, weren't going to be coming back next next season. Like, what are we doing? Well, now, like with Malik coming back, with Kurtz who got some run last year, and then Robinson who comes in as like a true deep threat, and and frankly, an like he's an add on to our existing skill set. Like this is a skill set. I don't believe we have within our wide receiver core today. We don't have anybody who looks exactly like him, maybe triple J, but like to me, just what, I don't know, like what a week, two weeks into this transfer portal world. Like we're already feeling a lot better about one of our major position groups. Right. And I think it's certainly something that can be sold to, I mean, lest you forget, like, we finished the season with a great-looking starting running back. We have a four-star running back coming in. By the way, too, we haven't really talked about this. Calling Anthony Tyus a four-star running back kind of sells him short. Yeah. Um, he's you can feel free to look this up. He's one of the top top five running backs in the Midwest. Um, massive recruit. He's a massive, big, strong running back. Um, and again, one of the top five backs in the Midwest. And he's going to come right in and be a huge factor of this offense. And I I believe you've all heard us talk before about the fact that the amount of awesome linemen who haven't even really played yet on this team is, is it's stacked. The line is going to be, you know, Peter Skaronsky, Man Bear Pete was the headliner. That generation of guys is filled with a lot of other big names that are going to make major impact on the field. It's all to say that like, Whichever quarterback steps into this offense is going to have a heck of a lot to work with. Yes. Um, yes. Well, I, that offensive line to me is like if I'm a QB looking at at my options and I'm looking at tape of Northwestern and I'm looking at how much time Peyton Ramsey had to throw against good defenses this year and compare that to the minimal amount of time that, that Hunter Johnson or Clayton Thorson in the past had had to throw. Like I'm, I'm pretty excited about <laughs> – Playing how about, how, at how about a potential first team uh, All America left tackle? Is that something you yeah. might be interested in protecting <laughs> yeah, you? Helpful, helpful, <laughs> right? I mean, just just my scribbles, right? Like there are nine legit names that fill out the two deep, and that's not even including any freshmen who populated. I think three of the spots in our two deep in 2020. So, and we had a good recruiting class on the O line. So you can imagine that we have 12 legit. 10 to 12 legit offensive linemen next year. Right. And, and, and that's a position that injuries have been, have been a problem in the past and, and certainly could, could, you know, rear their head in the future. But um, this, I mean, this offense looks, it's, it's not, it's not Alabama, 
it's not Ohio State, but um, like I am, I am well, quite r- confident. Run, run through your scribbles. Well, so so you, so you kind of heard me run through the the wide receivers. Um, John hit running back with with Cam Tyus and, and Evan Hall. And I know I said I didn't have any freshmen. I got Tyus on here, but like I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> He's the top five running back in the Midwest, right? Um, across the line. So Man Bear Pete. I'm going left to right, right? Man Bear Pete, Josh Preeb, Sam Garrick. Um, I think either Ethan Wiedekar or Charlie Schmidt. Uh, at the other guard, and then and then Zach Franks um, at right tackle, and then you've got Ben Rather, um, Payne A. Bear, and I'm forgetting his first name, but Foster. This is such another... this is such a sweet offensive like, line. <laughs> like, let's let's not forget Caleb Tiernan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so then, the, yeah. So then, lay, lay in Tiernan and Anderson and anybody else that we 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 recruited this past year, and you've got ridiculous depth. You've got guys going into the third the third level. Um, so that I mean that like, it's it's really strong. It's really really strong. And if you're a QB looking for a good situation where you can build on something, but Jakeian is a guy with NFL pedigree who has developed QBs for that level, has had you know success everywhere he's been. Again, it's not the Alabama offense, but when you're comparing it against what we saw from you know Wisconsin or Nebraska or in Iowa this year at at offense, like. Peyton Ramsey and John, you documented this very well. Peyton Ramsey was like the third best QB in the Big Ten this year. He was named third team All Big Ten QB. Like, th- like we're we're, they're a building we're block selling here. an opportunity, right? Exactly. Yes. And plus, and plus, Bajakin has a history of tailoring his offense to the players he has. He's mm-hmm. not going to try to force you into a system that he needs you to run. Like he's, you know, he's shown that in the past. Like. He'll change. He's got a philosophy, but it'll change based on the the players there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Else? Guess what else? Um, another grand pivot here, but uh, guess who else is probably staying? That's Pat Effing Fitzgerald. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> who, 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 um, got, um, I, <laughs> who got uh, voted to be the president of the uh, American Football Coaches Association, like the College Football Association? Um. I think he's probably staying in college. Yeah, he's not. He's not taking the role of president of the AFCA if he's not going to intend to, you know, serve out the year. Um, yeah, it, it, he's not going anywhere. I just this is a little inside baseball-y, but I know a lot of you will be following this. I just want to point out that Adam Schefter effectively had a tweet that said, "My sources tell me Pat Fitzgerald would take interviews." And then either today or yesterday was like, Pat Fitzgerald's not taking any interviews so far. And I'm like, okay, so like, what's the information flow here? You know, like, I'm just, you you know that, of course, Schefter's such a plugged in guy, but where is that sourcing come from? And when that initial tweet comes out, like, where is he getting that from? Because now we're seeing that, like, Fitz is not taking those interviews. And at the time... We kind of gave Schefter the benefit of the doubt, and we're like, "Look, well, he's got to be plugged in, but we wouldn't begrudge Fitz for taking these interviews and taking these phone calls for all the reasons we talked about in terms of, you know, his agent being like, "Don't look a gift horse in the mouth," and him thinking I can help my assistants, etc." But now you're kind of being like, you know, what was the flow of information that led to that initial tweet in the first place? Because I'm sure it had to be the had to have come from the agents. Right? I I guess. I mean, I don't know. I mean, all we know is at this point in time, the same guy who put that at that initial tweet is being like, "Look, Fitz ain't talking to anybody." 
So, I mean, I... And and I I, th- I think there was still, like, the, the question mark of what uh, Matt Nagy was g- going to be doing with the Bears. You know, if the Bears were going to be making a change at head coach, would Fitz be interested? And maybe those feelers were being put out to the Bears. And, like, that was that was where it was directed. The Bears made the playoffs. They got beat by the Saints in a slime-filled Nickelodeon game. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just this evening, it, it's sounding more and more like they're not going to make a change at head coach. They're not going to make a change at uh, general manager. Uh, and there's all, a new defensive coordinator, but... And for all we you know, know, it could be like tail wagging the dog a little bit where, like, they're getting the feeling, be like, don't be getting rid of Matt Nagy thinking that Pat Fitzgerald's going to step in because it's not looking sure. that way right now, you know? So, I mean, and, and again, it's not like we have the inside info, but... But right. I mean, I think all, all signs are pointing to Nagy being retained. And I think we did from some folks that we that that would presumably like get headwind of this. Um, we heard that uh, there's been no there's been no back channel conversations uh, as of yet. So I, I, like, I think Fitz I is... think for all intents and purposes, like like the the, the AFCA news is the I mean, yeah, there, there's there's no way he's going to the NFL. <laughs> I, I mean, it's funny, too. I actually thought about this briefly, and I was like, you're talking about the reigning Dodd Trophy winner and the newly elected president of the you know Association of Football Coaches. And I'm just like, are, like, f- f- the Bears? Like, that's the best? It's like, is Alabama open this year or isn't it open? And even if it was open, would he even take that job? Because, I mean, at this point, I'm like, you know, there really are coaches who are more highly regarded than Fitz and he's just about to the point where there's not a job that he would not be a top candidate for in all of football if Alabama opened tomorrow and Fitz indicated that he was interested in that job he'd be one of the top candidates so it's like you know it could be that he's just not interested and that he knows where he wants to stay maybe maybe his focus is less on the Bears and more on you know People who've recently followed him on Twitter, not to mention any particular names, I'm just, <laughs> just putting. I, I mean, like he does, he's described Northwestern as his dream job in the past, and we've and we've probably beat this horse enough at this stage. But like, nothing nothing has changed there. His 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 kids are in. His oldest kid is in high school. He he does not want to leave Chicago right now. I'm I am very confident saying that, having never spoken to the man in person. I just like like there were a lot of folks trying to read into this transfer news and people leaving the like kids leaving the program. And like, it just, it's not folks. That's not how it works. So when this inevitably happens again, you know, next year or the year, after, like just, just settle down. Gra- Everyone grab yourself a 15% down. Russian Imperial stout. Like I'm drinking right now. And just <laughs> chill, man. Just chill. I, I, you know, and it's, and are there still questions to be answered? Sure. I mean, like you go back to Leota and like, that's a big deal, him leaving the portal. And of course, Ernie Brown onto the NFL. Right. And I'm looking at things like that and being like, okay, so, um, exactly. What is the ultimate decision of Jake and Joe going to be relative to their bonus year? And are they going to take it? Have they been offered? Right. Um, is it true that Bergen's really coming back? And, and given all that, how does our, you know, granted, incredibly well-recruited depth chart at those positions factor to step up? Will the portal factor in? Are we going to have any defensive players coming in? What will Leo Who's going to be the defensive coordinator? Exactly. Who's going to be the guy coaching all these guys, right? So these are all big questions to be, to be to, asking, but... 
Um, do, do, do you guys want to go? Want me to go through my defensive scribbles? Sure. Do it. All right. So across the D line, I, D, defensive tackle is where we're just absolutely stocked. Um, Jason Gold and Trevor Kent return. I assume they're going to stay at DT, even though Gold's listed as a DE. Yeah, we need Gold. The, we need Gold to get healthy. That's the big thing. Yeah. Uh, well, he played late in the year, right? Right. Um, he did. Yeah. Continue to and get. And then him. you've got Wyatt Blake and Tara Edwards. You've got Sean McLaughlin and um, I think Jared Butler. Like all big recruits, defensive tackle is just absolutely stacked with talent. Um, defensive end is a little later, so you got Tommy Adebayori and uh, presumably Devin O'Rourke, who was who was I don't think we ever saw him play, but he was consistently listed on the depth chart in the second string as your as your presumably starting defensive ends this is, this is he, the spot where like he was the land a de- he was the fourth man i would say in the rotation yeah. did he play much he did i saw i saw him out there occasionally but, but truth, like maybe a few tackles yeah truthfully i mean we were heavily invested in the top three guys um yeah so i mean this this is a position where getting sam dup miller back next year which is no guarantee would be like massive i mean massive um, yeah massive getting getting a transfer portal guy at defensive end would also be massive um Jaden Cameron's another name that I like was a decent recruit who who presumably would be in the two deep here he's big because he is the most echoly like of all the guys yeah yeah but like this is the this is this year is the first year I could see us almost playing like three defensive tackles and and a true end on on rushing downs and then reverting to like a cheetah package where we're bringing in like Cameron as a rush end, like, like, like some, and so much of that's going to depend one of the, on the coordinator. One of the things but, that makes um, me feel better is how flexible Tommy is. He can do yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, true. Well, and this is another, so this is another interesting thing that I think is just worth kind of calling out, like, especially because of how stacked we are with defensive tackle talent. Um, when Vanderbilt fired their coach, uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now, Derek Mason. Derek Mason, thank you. There were a lot of Northwestern people that were like, oh, wouldn't Derek Mason be a good fit at Northwestern? And, like, from a, this is a smart dude who's co- coached at a smart school and has had success in a lot of different places and he's really good on a, on the defensive side, like, sure, he could be a great defensive coordinator. The problem is he runs a 3-4 defense. And with this type of defensive tackle talent, and none of these guys are, like, the 350-pound nose guard or nose tackle that you really need for a 3-4, like – it just makes sense we'd stay in a four three, and I'm not surprised that we didn't, you know, make any make any moves there. But um, so I mean, it, it still remains to be seen who's going to coach the defense. I don't expect our scheme to change, and I think that's a lot. We talked last week about the the um, potential for you know any of any of the the internal candidates, right? Um, McGarrickel, Marty Long, or uh, Matt McPherson to to take over, and any of those three would be, you know, a reasonable person to take over this the ship given how well it's performed over the last uh decade but so going behind the 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 d-line to the linebackers chris bergen is coming back and maybe it's just his it feels like that's been confirmed beyond just his post-game euphoric commentary but um the daily northwestern has him flagged as returning so i'm i'm gonna stick with it uh peter mcintyre is like your your lock of the year to to take over middle linebacker after patty fisher um but then, like, there's so many awesome names. So Jalen Rivers was uh, listed as your as your backup um, backup outside linebacker most of the last year. I assume that he'd be the next man up on the outside. You've got Xavier Mueller, a a freshman this past year, but but decent. 
you've got um i think it was mac uline the four-star recruit yep. uh out of the chicago area coming in as a true freshman um you've got bryce gallagher You've got uh, <laughs> yeah. How uh, you have a younger gala? Can I interest you in a guy? Khalid Khalid Jones, Khalid who Jones. was a massive recruit. Can, oh, can I interest you in a, in a Under Armour All American, uh, Michael Jancy? We've we've got him too. Um, oh yeah, Jancy. I didn't even have Jancy on here. I, I forgot. His, these, I, I forgot. There. I mean, it's it's just. I've got Man and McDonald as my other two with question marks next to him. But like like again, guys, again, it's we had three guys that were awesome and none of them got hurt and they played the entire year for two straight years. Like yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I no, folks unranked unranked. No, no reason not returning I, anything off the number, arguably the best defense in the country. Arguably the yeah. hardest spot to like go three deep is in the de- is in the defensive backs. And, and maybe in part because we've got, you know, Newsom going to, Newsom and pace going to the draft. We've got Ruiz transferring, but at the corner spots, you've got AJ Hampton and Rod Hurd as your presumed starters. Um, maybe Joseph, maybe right. I mean, Mitchell is the question is if Mitchell plays Did, corner, but is Mitchell a safety? That's the. See, I th- I thought we played I thought we played Mitchell at safety a lot more this past. I, year. I feel like Mitchell's our nickelback. Uh, see, I feel like Mitchell. I mean, this is so funny. Here we're getting like pulled into all these hilarious discussions because it's so fun i mean tell me tell me you tell me all you listeners aren't having fun right now uh, we had so many other things we were going to talk about tonight and we're just like rolling deep on football and i, I love it i know you're just getting pulled into but you're right i mean it's like you're 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 right i mean it's it's unsettled i just i'm like there's so much talent back there i'm just like because the other interesting thing to consider right is is in a year where we're turning over two of the most decorated linebackers in northwestern football history there's and 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 this is again from a very Hankowitzian defensive scheme perspective like why wouldn't you want Brandon Joseph basically lining up as your third linebacker in a 425 um when you can play Cam Mitchell and Bryce Jackson behind him or going to say one of those two guys in Coco Azima like, like Jabril Peppering Brandon Joseph basically I'm t- I mean I'm talking about like um Kyle Caroing Mm. Brandon Joseph, um, but no, no, no shots to Kyle Caro. He's like a much more dynamic player, right? Like, and I think we did that a lot with him this year. Like we've, I mean, we've talked, I've talked about this ad nauseum, right? Like, we love to put a third safety on the field in those third down situations, etc. And we definitely used um, Joseph in in that way, I, like. But it's interesting. Like I can't go more than two deep at any position in the in the in the defensive backfield. So if if you've got Hurd, Hampton, Jaheim Joseph, Cam Mitchell as your as your as your DBs, is Haskins like a like a true cornerback? I guess Bryce Jackson is going to be back there. Um, Br- Bryce Jackson, and, Brandon Joseph, and Kukuzima are all safeties. Yeah. So I feel and like the, I feel like there's you got a rotation. You got a rotation of corners. Yeah. You got a rotation of safeties. I'm. I'm uh, you've got solid talent and we've, we continue to recruit well to the safety position. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Um, but it is like on paper today, it's, it's the lightest of the three defensive units, which is weird. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's and the it, opposite of what it was last year. Well, and, to, and you know, to bringing this all back to where we started too, like the, the portal may continue to give here. Um, mm-hmm. again, like we've, we spent a lot of time highlighting one particular guy that we're looking at, but, um, it's not like any of us had Stefan Robinson circled before he came out of the portal. So there may nope. be other exciting guys uh, coming down the coming down the stretch. I feel like we need to like 
do a pivot at some point here because otherwise yeah. sooner or later we're <laughs> going to be looking we're going to be talking about like potential kickers and punters northwestern's targeting you know well, appa- well, apparently Derek adams is back yeah he's coming oh, back next that's year that's huge is, yeah, is what I, that is huge i, I feel like what i about, saw that so. what about kubander is kubander gone uh he is a senior um he might be back i don't know i haven't heard yeah. one way or the other yeah, I guess I guess the one other piece of information that came out today that's worth noting, and then we can pivot away from football, is that um, there's a running back from Buffalo that uh, Northwestern's targeting pretty hard. And then beyond that, it's you know it's anyone's guess, and we'll 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 see what happens. But um, I mean the 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 season ended yesterday. A yeah. lot is ha- like the right. AFCA meetings are happening right now. That is a, a probably the biggest time to like recruit new coordinators. I'm I, Pretty sure that's where Fitz uh, actually talked with Bajakian last year. Um, so a lot more is going to be coming soon. And I the think Transfer he... Portal is working hard. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll keep our ear to the ground and, yeah. and kind of and I, see what's what. I think you guys are, are are getting the feeling that we could be in emergency pod territory, potentially. We'll see what, we'll see what comes down the pipe. But there are exciting doings, potentially, a, a transpiring. Um, shall we talk about some less exciting things? I, I we've been delaying this uh, <laughs> for long weeks. enough. Fight <laughs> the bullet, boys. Yeah. Um. So, men's basketball ranked as high as 19, and then past three games have not gone well. It's not great, Bob. Not great. no. Um. And, and and just like, okay, we we went to Iowa. And it got beat. You know, it was close until late. They they pulled away. Michigan is playing ungodly basketball right now. Like, oh my god, they're good. And uh, the less we talk about the second half of that Illinois game, the better. Uh, yeah, I, I I like to think that we were up fifteen points going into halftime, and I you know don't know what else happened. Nothing else happened that night, right? Yeah, I. Uh, hmm. It's. So on one hand, you're absolutely right. And I think it, it's important not to give short shrift at all to, on one hand, to the fact that Michigan's looking like, you know, they're as good of a bet for the national title as anybody I mean, right now. They they were up 30 points on number nine, Wisconsin tonight with five minutes to go and end up winning by 19. Right. I mean, they're an, they're awesome, they're really, an awesome team. Really good. And Illinois is an awesome team. And oh, man, Illinois is a really awesome they're, team. They're, and they're scary. God damn it, we should still should have beaten them. Well, and Iowa is an awesome team who, frankly, got a hell of a lot better game out of us than either Michigan or Illinois did. And so on one hand, you have that. And on, and on one hand, you say, look, like we ran into three really tough teams. That's three really tough losses. And, and that's one thing. On the other hand, and I think this is something that's been bothering us and we've been having discussions with a couple of other people and, and, and you know, and I think, and, and really kind of going back and forth with some people because I, I think there's, you know, maybe we have some views that aren't completely shared by some other people and, and there are some things going back and forth. And I, you know, the issues with how we've been playing our personnel in the past couple of games have been kind of worrisome um, to me and, and bother me. And I don't know, I, honestly, like, I don't even want to go too deep down the road of the ins and outs of this. Um, I guess one of the things that I would just say, though, is um, that I guess I personally, I would accept two lines of thought. You either can think that 
the hot start that Northwestern got that led to them being ranked and led to the win against Michigan State, Indiana, Ohio State, that there was some good fortune in there that was compounded with, you know, really close wins, two really close wins against Indiana and Ohio State, and then a big win against a Michigan State team that has subsequently been proven to be a paper tiger. And that those propped up a team that really wasn't at the the level, that was really much closer to the level a lot of us expected it was going to be um, at the start of the season. And that the, that that these games constituted a mirage that led to it led to inflated expectations, and then this team has been laid bare in the in the subsequent games. And if you if that is your line of thinking, I understand it. I don't completely agree with it, but I understand it. The other line of thinking um, that I accept, and this is the one I do subscribe to, is that the additions of Chase Adij and Ty Berry have potentially completely changed this into a different team, and. It's because we were so starved for guards, and now we have two very talented guards. And I know a lot of people are out on Chase Adige right now, and I would just say that it's you pretty much have to understand that we don't win the Indiana game or the Ohio State game without Chase Adige. Like, that, we just don't win either of those games if he's not playing. It's just that simple. And it's, but that it's less about any one guy's performance at any one time in the terms of Adige and Barry, and more about the fact that we have guards now and that it's become very clear that the character of this team is based around the talent of the guards on the roster and playing as many of those guards as possible, as often as you possibly can. And that that has to be the basis and, and the foundation of the team. And that's my own personal view. Now, I accept that you can either agree with what I just said or disagree and think that this is effectively the same team as last year's team. What I don't accept is that you can discount the addition and the drastic potential um, and change that Adige and Barry bring to the team and yet still believe Northwestern's a different team from the team that went 7-33 and in the Big Ten over the past two years. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that anyone can be like, no, this team just somehow, that team, that 7-33 and Big Ten team just somehow found it. I would say that the tape is pretty clear that these two guys allow you to run new lineups, and those new lineups allow you to present a completely different team that turns a guy like Pete Nance into another human being. Um... And again, that's that's my read on it. If you disagree, you disagree. But I, I guess I my my feeling would be that I embrace that and I embrace the potential of these guys. I embrace the potential of these new systems because of what I see, but also because I feel like the the other mentality to have would be just kind of apathy to just be like, well, no, I, I it's just the same team as before. It's just the same team, and we're just going to get steamrolled down the stretch. And I I don't. I don't want to believe that. I don't believe it, but I also don't want to believe that. I want to believe in this team. I want to believe that there's something different here and that there's potential that the right groupings and the right you know lineups can unlock. Um, and I, I hope that we can do that going forward because I still see a lot of magic in this team. It doesn't help that the Big Ten is absolutely loaded. I mean, we talked about this going in. Like, this is a really, really, really deep conference. Like, to the point, we could be looking at eight, maybe even nine bids in the tournament this year. Like, we're, we we're, we knew the meat grinder was coming. We knew these three teams are really good. 
it doesn't get much easier. We're at Ohio State tomorrow. We have Iowa again. You know, it, this is, you know, we, we don't really get a break. I mean, we got Penn State coming up, but then Wisconsin. And we, we have to play Michigan again. You know, it, we have to go to Illinois. The, it's a brutal, brutal conference. We're not going to win them all. Yeah, there were a lot. There was a lot that happened these past three games that we need to fix. Um, you know, Boo Booey not scoring against Illinois is a problem. Yeah, I, there's. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's some individual player things that are that are tough to swallow. I mean, P- P- Pete Nance couldn't have been you know, more polar opposite of himself in the first and second halves of, of, of that game against Illinois. Um, I guess like if I, if I step back to a 30,000 foot view, I mean, I think John, what you articulated earlier is very fair. Like the, like the cats, they needed to have some breaks go their way to win those three games that they won. Um, and some things didn't go their way in the next couple games. We'll see like, can they respond? That's a huge question mark to me. And I think like if, if you're dialed into the broader Northwestern basketball community, I think the the general feeling, the general feeling is that Collins is a much better recruiter than Carmody was, a much better, you know, face of the program, advocate for the program. He's, you know, selling the program in a way that Carmody just didn't, you know, that wasn't Carmody's personality, right? But Collins is not a great in-game coach. Um, I'm going to call this out because I, like, I was fascinated uh, reading Jordan Ash's tweets during the Illinois game. Yeah, that, was, that awesome. was amazing. That was really that was, cool. It was really interesting to see a former player talking. And he wasn't shitting on the team or anything, but he was being pretty candid around like, hey, if it were me, I like, and let's be clear, it's not. But if it were me, I would probably be doing X, Y, or Z. And one of the things he mentioned was that in crunch time, when they need a play, they go to Brian James for him to draw something up. And, and that's not, that's not unusual in college basketball that there's an assistant on the team that is, that is particularly adept at drawing up a play or, or conceiving an, you know, a particular offensive set. Like that's not a weird thing, but um, it struck me just when you couple that with all the other things we've heard and, and kind of struggled with, with Collins over the past several years. Um, I think, I think the other side of that coin is Northwestern didn't have any guards for a long time. And so we were abjectly terrible and now we have guards and we should be a lot better. And that's where the big question to me is, can we respond? Like, I, like we heard some folk from some folks during the Illinois game that were like, this is a pivot. Like they're not going to win another big 10 game this year. And I certainly hope that's not the case. But again, that it, like, can they respond? Can can they find what they had in those three three games against Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State? Can they they take this? You know, they've had a week off right before they play. What t- two days from now? Can they find what they had before? And can the coaching staff, like, I I don't want to see get out of their own way, but like, focus on what's working in a way that is um, putting the talent where it needs to be put. Yeah, I, and I guess part of it too, frankly, is I think there, like I said, there was really a lot of apathy over the past two seasons, right? And then this change when we kind of had this this great start to the season, and and um, apathy is is no fun. I mean, you want to care. It is 
it quickly becomes exhausting, though, to be in a position where you feel like that there are talent and yet it's not coming together. And again, I, I don't want to pretend like we have all the answers. I mean, there, I, we have people in the Northwestern sphere. I'm hearing from people, right, who are like, Chase Adiz does nothing but take bad shots. I don't like seeing that. And then I have other people, you know, who I respect just as much being like, Ty Berry, Chase Adiz, and Boo Booey should be on the court all the time and never come out because everything works as a whole when those guys are out there. I have people vociferously saying both things, right? And I'm, you know, there are, which, which probably tells you it's somewhere in the middle. Right. Right. Like, right. I mean, yeah. there are like those, those guys are, are objectively like extremely talented and can get their own shot in a way that we have not seen multiple players on the floor for Northwestern be able to do that in the past. But well, they, and you, they also can't play hero ball. Like, I mean, that's, that's oh, totally. 100% what we saw at times against Illinois, where those guys were basically clearing out and saying, I'm going to go one-on-one and, re- and get this offense rekindled. And all of the success against Illinois in the first half was predicated on motion and passing. And um, it's funny. It's almost like the system, right? Like we used to talk about with Carmody. Right. And, well, it's, and it's, it stinks just because... Maybe it's, you know, and maybe this is where we all, you know, as a fan base hit pause and be like, maybe it's just that coming out of a football season that was so intense and so exhausting and everything. It's just like (laughs) we kind of I feel like maybe we're all kind of wanting to be like, look, are we in on this team or are we out on this team? Are we doing something or are we not doing something? Because like we're all just like so we're all just spent and being like, oh gosh, like I like you know we're looking and being like we're we're on the off ramp from the football highway entering like basketball land at at a hundred miles an hour. We're like, come on, why isn't everybody going right. like we're going? Like right? we're, I mean, I'm watching the wheels coming off against Illinois and being like, you know, all right, well, like what what is the lineup? What's the perfect lineup that's going to do this? Who should be out there? And being like, this is just exhausting. Like I'm just like, this is coming out of coming out of football season you know but again it's like you know we want to hope we want to believe and like sam said i mean the the schedule is continues to be a murderer's row but um, next up i mean you know the the night after we're recording we play an ohio state team we already beat maybe that's where we you know we find the spark again and then an iowa team that at the time we finished that game up we really wanted a piece of them again so i don't know maybe maybe it's maybe it's a rough patch and maybe this is all you know, maybe we're overanalyzing. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm guilty of overanalyzing. I don't know. Like I said, I, you know, I'd, I'd like that to be true. I'd like for us to just find it again and for me to be able to find some sort of zen coming out of this football season and just be like, all right, let's just, maybe I could just actually unplug while watching a little basketball. But I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure we'll all be white knuckling it the rest of the season. But um, here we are. Here's whatever the solution is. Let's hope that that we can find it and and get back to where we were a couple weeks ago. Uh, let's talk ladies. Um, you know, as as we re- definitely don't want to ignore speaking them of, at all. Speaking of finding it and getting back to where someone was a couple uh, weeks ago, yeah, totally. So at, after losing uh, a tough one at Nebraska um, and then just getting beaten pretty badly by Michigan, just fixing it back up, going up to Madison and eighty to fifty five over Wisconsin. And then, you know, taking down Iowa by 10 uh, last Saturday, really kind of getting things back on, on the on the horse. Uh, unfortunately, they're not going to be able to play on Thursday as Rutgers had to uh, postpone that game due to COVID issues. So they are off until next Sunday. But um, how did the women, after stumbling those two games, 
Um, I mean, Nebraska, that that was a rough one. That was definitely a rough one. Michigan's good. Michigan's really good. Uh, they're good at men's basketball. They're good at women's basketball. Um, they were good last year. You know, Michigan has some size that we don't have. Um, but how do how did they turn it around? Yeah. So I mean, like, the, let's put the Michigan game aside for a second, sure, right? Absolutely. Because that that is a very tough matchup for Northwestern, both from a talent standpoint and a stylistic standpoint. Not that the Cats don't have the talent to run with Michigan. It's just it, it's two very different teams stylistically. For for me, the Nebraska game is a game that the Cats absolutely should have won. They lost by two points. Um, it was, you know, Nebraska scored on kind of like a, I don't want to say a miracle play, but like it, like like they scored a buzzer beater to win, and it was kind of like a let me just throw this up uh, reverse layup type, type deal, and and they got it right. Whereas it, it, it could have gone to OT, and the the biggest takeaway I had watching that Nebraska game is the Cats just got sloppy. They turned the ball over. They missed a lot of layups. If they just hit their layup, like half of their missed layups and half of their missed free throws against Nebraska, I'm not even asking. I'm not asking for 100. percent I'm not asking for like 75. percent Just get me to 50. percent Um, they win that game no contest. They, they they left so many points out on the court, and it just it just seemed like one of those games. And it's unfortunate that they had to play Michigan in the next contest because I think against Michigan they had some of the same problems with turnovers and fouls but like Michigan is a load on the front court they have Nas Hillman who's one of the best players in all of women's basketball she was one of the best players in women's basketball last year and has you know only elevated they have a number of other players that are in the six foot two six foot three range Northwestern has uh Courtney Shaw who's listed at six one Paige Mott listed at six two and um, Anna Morris listed at six two, and Mott and Morris are true freshmen and just don't play that much and haven't. I mean, this was game six on the year, right? They've not had Mott did get twenty one minutes. Mott, Mott played a bunch and looked good pretty early, but um, they just like neither one of them has the time has had the opportunity to really mature. And 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 Morris was the was kind of the high super high level recruit who's getting much less playing time than, than Mott at this stage. So. Like that Michigan game almost kind of is what it is, but the theme from Nebraska that carried forward to the Michigan game was that it was very poor shooting, not good execution. What they turned around against Wisconsin and then really brought to bear against against Iowa was the what the hallmark of this team has been for the last couple seasons, and that's their defense, their tenacity, their steals, um, and their execution off of those steals. I think they doubled up Wisconsin. Um, in in turnovers and uh, did the same thing to Iowa and they improved their shooting. They didn't shoot the lights out in either one of those games, but they, they got back to, to good. And, and I think that, you know, they, they just executed and, and brought the more of the precision that we've come to expect from North, from this Northwestern women's team. So like, I, I think there is, there's still a hill to climb for them to get back into the top tier with the Maryland's and the Michigan's and, and we'll see they'll have their opportunities right they're gonna get they're gonna get Maryland in the last game of the year they've got another matchup with, they've got two games with Ohio State they're gonna they, got, they got Maryland the second to last game of the year Michigan the last game of the year oh did that uh the the screen I am looking at does not show Michigan well that's exciting that we end with the two of them yeah, but the, um this this is on the uh, NU sports uh, schedule so I'm I'll go with that one 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take that over ESPN as well. I guess um, they don't have that Michigan game listed for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but e- either way, like the 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 Cats are going to have their opportunities. They've got a lot of winnable games. Um, they, I think they're better than Indiana. I think they're better than Ohio State. You know, Maryland, Michigan. Beating Iowa was huge. Iowa was eight and one coming into that game. That was a really, really, really big win for Northwestern. And you know, we'll 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 see how they go from here. But um, if they can maintain their their precision in executing and creating turnovers, which they struggled to do against Michigan, like that's that's what Northwestern does to try to make up for the size disadvantage and the rebounding disadvantage based on the fact that they play three guards essentially the whole game is they make up for it with steals and um, an intense defense to give them more opportunities to shoot the ball. And then they, they you know, and then they have to, to shoot reasonably well. I think, I think against Michigan, um, I want to say Burton had like her worst shooting game of the year. Maybe, maybe that was against Nebraska. I can't remember which, but um, like, like if, if those, if those pieces are working, like this team is in good shape. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's amazing that, like you said, that they were able to find it, and there's still so many games left, and and you know the weapons are going to come together, and I I totally agree. The one thing that I want to add on to all of this, and this is something that we haven't even really gotten into at all, but it's impossible I think to talk about the women's team without getting into it, is not only did Northwestern you know really get stomped by Michigan, and then swallow that, turn around, and turn and, mm. and go on the road and turn it around. They did it in, to say these were difficult circumstances, I don't know how you can. So, first of all, the woman um, travel up to to Madison, Wisconsin on the 6th, um, donning warm-ups that read, true change will only come once everyone in this country feels the same outrage as black people. Those are the warm-ups that they wore heading up to the Wisconsin game. Because it had been announced, I think, the day before or two days before that no charges were going to be brought against Jacob Blake for what happened in Kenosha. So the team is going up to play a game in Wisconsin, um, 100 miles from Kenosha, immediately following this. And they've chosen to make this statement, this powerful statement. Um, that starts with Lindsey Pulliam and Veronica Burton and the leadership of, of the girls on the team, right? And about an hour before the tip-off of this game, the United States Capitol starts to get overrun. Um, and, we, I mean, we were talking and there was a lot of discussion online of, you know, are they even going to play? And And that may seem, you know, if you look at the schedule – there was really almost there were really almost no college sports going on when the capital was overrun and a couple minor games tipped off um like minor women's games and then a game involving a ranked team televised on the Big 10 network kicked off right in the middle of it and that was northwestern wisconsin and you know there was a lot of discussion online of like look if these girls don't want to play this game everyone understands this is a national crisis and they chose to play, um, and they played. Um, but you can look at Veronica Burton's Twitter feed, 
she's tweeting showing the Black Lives Matter warm-ups that they chose to wear. And her next tweet is juxtaposing um, shots of the people on the inside of the Capitol with, you know, ways that black people have been mistreated in similar situations in this country. They get it. They're paying attention. Um, they notice all of this stuff. And to have to compartmentalize it in the moment and write the ship on the road coming out of that Michigan game against the Swiss. I mean, I can't even I can't even really fathom it. Like, I don't it's not something any of us have a point of reference for um, to have to put something like this aside and go on national TV or at least, you know, Big Ten Network TV and play a game. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can do nothing but tip my hat because I won't understand I can't imagine what it must feel like to do that. Um, and all I can do is just say, I, I mean, I'll, what can you do but just clap and say, I, I don't, that, I'm a, it's just amazing. Like, it's amazing that you were able to do that, use the platform, and then still go out and play great basketball. So, I mean, that's, that's all I wanted to add. I don't, I, you know, what can you say? What can you do but be amazed? Yeah, I, no, I, I echo everything you just said, John. I, like... I was joking with friends. I think I, I can't remember if I said it to you guys, but there's this chart of like, you know, pro- productivity over time on that day. Of like, <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, Oh, I got up, I had some coffee. I was supposed, to, I was supposed to help my daughter then, with a project for school. And that just went right out the window. I was a bad dad. Yeah, at, at two, th- my, my daughter watched YouTube videos, um, virtually all afternoon. Cause from two o'clock on, I was useless. And, I don't think my job is is as hard as being a college basketball player at a at a Big Ten school, but um, I like I like I was I, I got nothing done. I got nothing done, and they went out and played a uh, hard physical basketball game and kicked the crap out of the other team. So um, yeah, kudos to them for for being able to compartmentalize it. I I would. I hope that there was some agency in in the teams deciding that they were going to go forward and play. Um, I yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, like th- th- there was that thought in the back of my head: is did they know? I, yeah. And 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 maybe you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And we know a lot more now than we did in the moment on that on that day. Um, so perhaps they didn't realize the level to which um, things were escalating in DC. But um, regardless, like it's. I think more than anything, I want to come like, I think, I think to your point, John, to commend them for paying attention and being dialed into this stuff and continuing to push this message and use their platform um, like they should. I think that's, uh, that's, that's number one. And then, you know, wh- whatever they were able to do in the moment, the mental, t- the mental fortitude to, to, to do that is, 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 um, you know, a, 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 again, to be commended. Yeah, I mean, exactly what both of you guys just said. I mean, it's it's just a wild situation and for them to to play through that and to play as well as they did just speaks volumes. And you know, so proud to be associated with this with this team. And you know, it they're just amazing on all levels and yeah. Yeah, and you know, hopefully we've we're we're flushing our system of you know, who's the third and fourth best cornerbacks on Northwestern depth chart and everything where we'll give them their due, you know, their, their time is, is now, and we will be giving them, you know, plenty of, of oxygen over the next couple of, of, of weeks and, and for the rest of the season, cause they've got a, a big year ahead. Absolutely. 
Uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight? I've been scouring Twitter all night for any um, any uh, last minute tw- uh, transfer portal notifications, and there's nothing yet. But nothing but, yet. You know, I, I I said this a couple weeks ago. I mean, I think I think some of these. I think there's going to be a long time before the dust settles on all the transfers and all the moves. And you know, to that point, we just saw Cam Ruiz. I think yesterday announced that that he's going into the portal. So it's it's still a bit of a moving target. Um, there are guys landing with schools who have been in the portal since November or, or September. There, there are guys that, you know, announced a couple weeks ago that are already finding places. So it's, it's all kind of up in the air. We'll, we'll see what happens. And I guess, um, at this stage is just, it's just getting stoked about, uh, about, um, basketball as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Let's go men turn it around. Women keep being awesome. Um, and yeah, let's 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 get some good feels going forward. And between that and the portal, yeah, um, football season may be over, but we're gonna have a, a lot to eat off of, uh, a lot to go on here um, in the next couple weeks. So with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlotpirates. And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.